Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Banks, and you're listening to Heroic Journeys from Crisis to Transformation. Today, my guest is Jane Duncan Rogers. Good afternoon, Jane. Hi there. Good to be here. Thank you for being with us today. Jane is, is a coach, author, and speaker who originally trained with Louise Hay, founder of Hay Publishing House. In fact, she was the first person to bring Louise's work to Europe. After over 20 years of counseling, training, and coaching, and after her husband's death in 2011, Jane now runs the social enterprise Before I Go Solutions. This organization helps people make good end-of-life plans, thus protecting their loved ones from the pain caused by not having one. It originated directly from the experience that Jane had after her husband died. So the title of today's episode is Dying to Talk, Why Coronavirus is a Great Opportunity for a Neglected Conversation. And to give you a bit of background here, um, a bit of context, doctors uh, all over the world um, have been asking their high-risk patients if they have considered what kind of treatment they'd like to receive if they were to contract the virus. That's a question to be asked if you've never considered the fact of your own end of life, especially at a time when, although most people recover from CV, many are dying. So Before I Go Solutions helps people to think about the inevitable, to have conversations about it with their nearest and dearest, and then to write down decisions they've made about their end of life treatment. This is one small part of a bigger end of life plan and founder of Before I Go Solutions, author and coach Jane Duncan Rogers has a mission to have these plans become as commonplace as birth plans. And it all starts with contemplating the unthinkable. So Jane, um, first question to you. Why is it important or even more important now that we talk about death? Well, it's, I would say it's even more the elephant in the room now, because although there are people dying and it's right in our face and the media keeps reporting about it, which of course they do, that's their job. Still, there are many, many people, probably most people who don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation along the lines of, well, what about if I die or what about if you die or or anything actually to do with mentioning the D word. So it's, but it is really important to talk about it because even though most of us, even if we get the virus, will actually survive, not everybody does and nobody knows who that is. So when we don't know, we need, it helps to take some actions. And in this case, it starts with a conversation and perhaps a conversation with yourself about what, how you would feel if this happened to you, if you got the virus and your life was threatened. But there's a second part as well, which is that the doctors are indeed asking us to consider this. And you don't want that question, i.e., would you like to receive treatment or would you prefer not to receive treatment and simply stay at home if you get the, the virus seriously? Which is, which is something to be contemplated. You don't want to be contemplating that question when you're, you've been taken into hospital and you're seriously ill. You, you, I mean, if that's the very first time that you've thought about a 
a do not resuscitate order or the fact that you might actually not survive, that's pretty brutal. So mm. I really recommend that people begin to consider this now in, in small bits, a little bit at a time, let's say. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and so kind of a, a, a related question to that, what is so important about considering the type of treatment that we would want? Well, I don't think that everybody understands that um, the just because you may or may not, well, let's say you may get on a ventilator if you need to, but actually the effect of the ventilator on the body is quite, um, I wouldn't say harmful because of course it saves lives, but it's quite a strong effect. And the, um, from the research that I've done, the impact on your life uh, for your health afterwards is not necessary. You're not necessarily going to go back to exactly how you were before. So thinking about, and, and I'm talking really now to people who are high risk or very elderly, or maybe feel that they might have come towards the end of their lives fairly soon anyway. So much older people. Um, because I've heard of quite a lot of people directly to me and from and to other sources as well who have said i've lived a long life i don't want to be in this situation in hospital where i i might die but i might not um i want to just stay at home and if i'm gonna die uh i would rather do that at home that's a huge thing to say huge mm. and you can't just do it just like that even people who think that they are clear it really bodes well to take some time to really think it through for yourself and to really then talk with your nearest and dearest about it because of course it's going to affect them whatever it is that you decide to do so it's um i think we really have to in order to be able to do that if you like we have to face up to the fact that our lives might come to an end and while that is a scary thing to do it's I would say it's better to, it's like any fear, it's better to face up to it than to have it lurking in the background, causing you, um, let's even say mild anxiety all the time. Right. Um, however, don't you, think that don't you think that some people might be concerned that if they start talking about their own death <laughs> while they're still alive, that it's almost like they're bringing it on? Is there a sort yeah. of almost a superstition related to that kind of conversation or disclosure? Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, even I've had that and, you know, I've been doing this a few years now, but it, earlier on, I can remember one time when I noticed that thought, you know, if I'm talking about this all the time, am I going to die earlier? Will it bring it on sooner? And it's, it's, a, it's a natural thing, I think, to say, especially in a society, which is what it's like mostly in the Western world, um, in a society where it's not, let's say, quotes normal to talk about death, it's um, it's there, it's almost taboo. And uh, so, and if you do mention it, people tell you to uh, stop being so morbid, or yeah. or say that um, you know, you're if you carry on like that, you're likely to offend somebody or something like that. So it's like you know, it's got a, a great big X in front of it. You're not supposed to go there. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there are reasons for that superstition being one of them but it is 
only a superstitious thought. I don't think that's been proved anywhere along the line that the more you talk about it, the more likely you are to die. Because the fact of the matter is, we're all going to die. I mean, nobody, I know nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> but <laughs> to me, that's like really odd. Because well, we're only... Any, do, sorry, do you know anyone that hasn't died? <laughs> well, exactly. And the statistics show that 100% of us will die. So <laughs> to me, that's like, okay, we can't be alive without death. They go hand in hand. Okay, there might be a big long period of time in between them, but... We need to be able, in order to be able to embrace life fully, we also need to be able to embrace the end of it. Right. Um, it's interesting. The, uh, I, I started this series, Heroic Journeys from Crisis to Transformation, way, way, I mean, the middle of last year, uh, before all of this uh, lockdown and COVID-19 and so on. And it's it struck me since this is all happened that we're all on heroic journeys to yeah. some degree or another and when you're on a heroic journey through life um you know what you're doing is you're meeting challenges small and big um and if you if those challenges are a crisis challenges then um it's a bit like what you said i mean you've got you actually the heroism comes in facing up to them yes and going through those crises uh, rather than sort of pretending they're not happening or you know, suppressing one's feelings and so on and so forth so i think there's a there is a an element of real courage and uh taking a, a leap forward in being able to discuss this before yes. before you're dead Yes, and may, absolutely. And maybe years, years before you're dead, because what you're talking about, isn't it, is, is, yeah. is thinking through how do you want your end of life to be and how is it going to affect other people? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the funny thing is, the, I, I completely agree with you about courage, but the thing is, when people experience somebody else having courage, like if somebody tells me, gosh, you're such a courageous or brave person, I don't feel courageous or brave. Usually I feel afraid, but I'm doing it anyway. And so I, I don't think that one can feel brave. I think one does feel scared mm -hmm. and you're still doing the thing, whatever it is that is, you know, you're not letting that feel, fear stop you from doing what you know is the right thing to do or uh, what you really want to do, um, what you're really motivated to do. Um, so from that point of view, it's definitely a heroic journey. And I think, yes, all of us in our own ways are now on heroic journeys, which I think is wonderful. It is, it is. And I think, uh, you know, when, when you're on the hero's journey, um, then various things and people come to your assistance. Yeah. If you, uh, if you call, call out for them um, and invite them in. Um, that's certainly something I'd learned when I was... Uh, facing uh, either a literal death or a, a kind of um, an endless living death when I got my kidney failure. And, mm. um, and what I realized is that people are there to help and mm -hmm. are willing to help if, if you ask them. And I was able to raise money enough to be able to support myself after the operation, which in America wasn't covered by health insurance. 
I didn't have health insurance. So <laughs> basically I couldn't even have the operation or the transplant unless I had money to cover the post-transplant um, period of several months so, and the aftercare and so on. So yeah, I found that the you know, reaching out was so important. So, mm. so what, you know, so um, going on to some more practical matters here, Jane, I mean, why, why is a will not enough? I mean, most people, they typically, mm. if they think at all about the end of their life, they think, well, I've got to, got to do a will because mm -hmm. I've got to do a will so that my family will have something when, I, when I'm gone. Yeah. Um, it's the right thing to do, of course, genuinely. And uh, I want to make sure they're taken care of and so on and so forth. But why is the normal will, if you like, not enough? Well, if you're going to do anything, if you haven't done anything to prepare for your end of life, then a will is probably the place to start. Um, simply because it makes life so much easier for your family after you've gone. Um, and I think people do know that because there has been a huge uptake in people creating wills. Um, before this, I don't know what the statistics are today, but before uh, coronavirus started, uh, happened, there was, um, I think the rate was uh, something like... Um, 60%, 60% of people in the UK who had not done wills. That's really? a lot. Yeah, no, it's enormous, isn't it? Wow. I mean, it might, be, it might have changed a few percent because I don't know, I don't suppose anyone knows the exact figures now, but, um, but I do know that people, that's the first thing that people talk about because it's what they know and that's completely understandable. And it is really important in order to get the legal side of things sorted out. Even if you think you haven't got anything, because um, once you start to think, you might realise you have more than you um, thought of, or you might realise there are complications that you hadn't thought about before. So I always recommend that people make a will. But the fact is, it's just the beginning of an end-of-life plan journey, because we now that we are an ageing population, and most people die when they're older, and not a sudden death, for example, when they're younger, we are having to deal with um, living longer, but not in such good state of health. And that's where a healthcare and a finance power of attorney come in. So power of attorney being the person appointed who can speak on your behalf if you're not able to. And that might happen because you're too ill to speak. With coronavirus, it might happen because you're finding it so difficult to breathe, you can't speak. Mm. Um, it might happen because you've had a stroke, all sorts of reasons. Um, and that person uh, then also needs to know what kind of treatment you would not want at the end of your life. And that's what we call in England an advanced decision. And that is thinking about ahead of time, while you're still fit and healthy, what actual uh, circumstances you would not you would not want to receive any treatment. You would rather just that nature took its course. Now, this is not an easy thing to think about. Of course it's not. Who no. wants to think about that? Nobody wants to think about it. But especially now, this is a really important question. You know, if you had contracted coronavirus and it was serious, what would you want to do? Would you want to have all treatment that is possible? Or would you rather decide that actually you don't want to have any treatment 
So they're serious questions and we need time to think about them. Um, so that's just one aspect of the illegal stuff. Um, but there's all sorts of others, other areas, because the other thing that people know about, of course, is funerals. Well, funerals already right now are, as we know, being done in different ways and they have to be done in different ways because of the lockdown. But it really helps, uh, even in these situations, it helps people if you, the people left behind, if you thought it through beforehand about what's important for you. For example, people know about songs at their funeral. That's one of the things that they know about. They might not have thought so seriously about who they might not want to attend their funeral um, or whether or not they want people to wear black or not. And people mm. will wear black because it's a default. Um, and perhaps that doesn't matter now because funerals are being held in all sorts of different ways. But again, that requires us to think about it in advance. Um, so for example, I just wrote a blog post about this, the difference between body disposal and funerals. One is the disposal of the body, which often is done through a process called direct cremation, where the body just gets taken to the crematorium and, and, uh, and it's dealt with there, and there's no service or anything. And any kind of um, honoring of that person's life happens separate from the body. And that's having to happen at the moment in many ways in many different ways, in many different scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and the funeral itself is the ritual saying goodbye, or let's call it an end of life celebration or whatever, because I think we need another word now instead of funeral, because we've assumed that funeral means that there's a body there and now we're not having one. Mm -hmm. So if we thought about that beforehand, and those are two things that are instrumental in an end of life plan, but there's also your digital life. So I can tell you that your digital life will carry on unless you organize that it doesn't before you die. And I, it, I can also tell you that it is much easier for those left behind to close down your accounts, especially, so, especially social media and all that, if you've taken care of it now. And it's not difficult to do, you just have to do it. But in order to do that, of course, you have to contemplate the fact that you might die one day. In fact, you will die one day. So. Uh, that's that's a whole area which is bigger and bigger these days um, and probably will keep changing as the digital world changes. Well, yeah, that's sorry to interrupt, but uh, that's a very important one because I, I can relate to the, I mean, when I, like Facebook says, it's Barry's birthday. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yes, write something on his timeline. Well, Barry's been gone, I don't know, five years now or something. Yeah. And same with Will, you know, Barry Wasserman, yeah. Will Welch, and they still, because no one has done anything about it, they're still there. Yeah. And I'm sure they would want to still be there, you know, their photos and everything, um, sort of redundant. So well, it's, yeah. I think it's a conscious decision that you have to take rather than it be the default, which is, the default is that it, you'll still be there and your friends will still get reminders that it's your birthday and all this kind of stuff. And for some people that can be uh, consoling in that they get reminded of you, but for other people they can find that really offensive. That's so true. you have to make a decision about it and you can do that easily, but 
But in order to be able to do it, you have to contemplate the big idea, which is that, yes, your life will come to an end at some point. Yeah, yeah that's, I think that's, you know, it all goes back to the, to the one thing about actually being willing to think about, contemplate, and then discuss yeah. <clears throat> your eventual death, regardless of whether it's in a year's time, in a few weeks' time, maybe tomorrow if you're really ill, or you know, 10 years time, it doesn't matter. Um, it's yeah. all part of the same approach, which is making sure that, uh, that it, it ends the way you want to end it. I mean, you talk about funerals and stuff or black suits, you know, mm -hmm. personally, although I haven't done my end of life plan, I certainly would, I wouldn't want to dress coat as black suits. Yeah. I'd, I'd want a very, I, you know, I can't be exact right now because I need to think it through, but I'd probably want people to wear whatever they want to wear that would be a positive and joyous celebration. Yeah. Um, and therefore probably colourful and, and all the rest of it. Um, that's just me. But I'd also be, want to make sure that, you know, there's uh, the, the, the right kind of songs. Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. Play, the, uh, the things that are read out and, and all the rest of it. So, and the other thing you mentioned, like power of attorney, and mm -hmm. um, you're saying that uh, a lot of people have never heard of that or don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I just recently did that uh, a year ago, and I Great. thought, oh my gosh, this is so important. Yeah. And if I hadn't done that, um, gosh, if I keeled over tomorrow, um, it's power of attorney for health, power of attorney for money. Um, do yeah. you want to elaborate on, on powers of attorney and why they're yeah. critical? Yeah, of course. So they are only active while you're still alive. As soon as you die, that's it. They are they're not relevant anymore, okay? So the power of attorney for health, I mean, even the words power of attorney, they sound so legal. They can sort of make your mind and your heart shut down just like that by listening to them. Even sometimes the word lawyer or legal does that, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but actually what it is, is a document that specifies who it is that you have appointed as your power of attorney. So let's take somebody um, for healthcare. Um, that needs, you need to think about who that you know would be a good person who would be able to represent your wishes, even if they didn't agree with them, but they would be able to represent your wishes if you were not able to speak for yourself. Hmm. Ideally, it would be somebody that you know and you can have a good conversation with about what those wishes are. And not everybody's going to be cut out for that kind of thing. And I know several people who, for whom the natural person to think who would be their power of attorney would be one of their adult children. They have not asked for that because they don't think that the children could manage it emotionally. Mm. So that's quite important to think through who would be the best person. And you can have more than one. And the same applies for your finances, because if you're still alive, but you can't manage your finances, that's difficult to mm. put it mildly, mm. <laughs> if not impossible. So yeah. you need to have somebody else. So for example, I have a friend who is in the early stages of dementia and she did recognize that. And she had one of her cousins, a, a younger, somebody from a younger generation, take on power of attorney for her finances. She, does not, she knows now that they are in um, suitable hands 
she completely trusts him and he's the one who operates her finances for her and that's what you have to appoint as somebody who could do that well again that needs to be somebody who's good good with finances not you know somebody who's really disorganized with their own ones and it's not an easy thing to do either because to contemplate that you wouldn't be able to do this that's that's hard yeah but the fact is we hope of course that this would not happen that you would um not be in a position where you can't speak for yourself but it's like insurance you know we we take out insurance for all sorts of other things and we hope that that event is not going to happen to us but we know that we're taken care of if it does and that's the same thing with parents of attorney yeah absolutely and uh, i can relate to it too uh, personally my partner um her, her mother has dementia mm -hmm. and she has my partner has uh, power of attorney over her mother mm -hmm. um and in terms of the finances such a wonderful thing and that she 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 does have that power of attorney because it would be impossible for her mother to conduct any kind of financial life <laughs> it just wouldn't be possible yeah exactly because because uh, karen is able to to have that power to uh, to do it and to do it well uh, it's a, a great blessing to her mother yeah That's yeah it's amazing so uh, personally i would encourage people to get powers of attorney for both health um and the other thing is of course you know as, as you would probably agree that power of attorney for health means that if you're uh if you're going into a coma uh, what do you want to happen do you want them to give power of attorney person the power to say shut shut it off close mm -hmm. it down or just carry on in a vegetable state um, well exactly and that's why of course people don't want to think about it because it's really not a very nice thing to contemplate no. is it but no. here's how i deal with it i ask people to think about if this situation whatever it is that you're having to contemplate if this situation had happened yesterday what would you want because it's easier to imagine it having happened yesterday while here we are still alive if you like than it is to project into a future which is the last thing that we want to have happen yeah. so that can give a way in that might make it easier to contemplate and just this morning somebody was asking me about well how do i decide about you know if i'm in a coma i mean people do recover from comas people do recover from strokes and so we were discussing about um how you can put a certain amount of time on that and some people who maybe really don't want to die for whatever reason they're afraid of it or whatever they would put a much longer time on being in a coma maybe um where they where they would be willing to be in a coma with the hope of maybe recovering than somebody who was maybe either nearer the end of their life anyway or didn't feel at all frightened about dying for whatever reason and only wanted to be in a coma for a, a week or two or something whatever it is you can put all that kind of stuff down and it's what amazing. we're talking about there is by the way it's called an advanced decision an advanced least, decision yeah in england it's called an advanced decision in scotland it's an advanced directive around the world it's known in different names slightly different names but it used to be called a living will 
some people might know it more as a living will and you don't need to go to a lawyer for it by the way i just saw a, a funeral was it a funeral company i can't remember a company online or um offering a living will but charging a fee for it and you don't need to have that really no you can do it by yourself or you can do it you can do it with help that's the kind of thing that we do we help people to think this through and I was to get to say it must be it must be very difficult jane to to do it on your own i i, I wouldn't because what what's re, what's being revealed in our conversation to me and hopefully to the listeners is the more you get into this and think about it, there are more details than you can imagine. There are more yeah. questions and more options. And it's yeah. something that you realize it's a whole world of decision and, and thoughtfulness that will have to go into this. Um, and, and I suppose that's really why you're there as an expert in helping people through it. You call yourself a coach because yeah. it requires coaching to do to do that well absolutely absolutely it's much easier to do it when you're talking it through with somebody else and often with somebody else who is not a relative or a friend because we don't have the same perspective obviously or maybe it's in a small group we do we do online groups and then you're talking about the same issue but different people with their different situations have different takes on it and that can be really helpful as well but you're absolutely right. Once you start looking at this, there are nuances and small questions, depending on your situation, that really need to be addressed. Um, so it is a journey, and therefore it's a heroic journey, if you like, in and of itself, just looking at your own end of life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we had another uh, episode here, we could go into uh, into more metaphysical spiritual stuff around yeah you know, quite seriously around uh, you know because some of the great spiritual teachers that i've uh, read over the years ha have talked about preparing yourself for death and that yeah. actually is the transformation from the crisis because it's a rebirth even though you've lost your your, your vessel your vehicle your the car you've been driving that's gone to the dump um, yeah but but you still carry on that's a whole other thing um, it is but uh, it's fascinating so yeah. and uh, you know i deal mostly with the practical side of things but it's based on the reason that i think that i can deal relatively easy with this practical stuff even for myself or or for my very close loved ones um, and both my husband and my parents have died now and i've been involved with their end of life um the reason that I think I can do that is because of my metaphysical beliefs about the body and life and what that actually is. And that's, I find, very helpful. So well, I'd like to, to stop there. And, and first of all, just remind the listeners, if you don't know, if you just came in halfway through this or, or, or whatever, uh, I, I'm Michael Banks. This is the episode in the series heroic journeys from crisis to transformation. My guest today is Jane Duncan Rogers, who's a coach, author, and speaker. And she um, runs the social enterprise Before I Go Solutions, in which she helps people create an end of life plan, coaches them to be able to do that. Um, and um, going back to what you just said, Jane, uh, I remember once you told me about your experience that again is part of your journey in providing the service 
when your husband did pass away nine years ago. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the listeners about the experience you had of, which was quite profound, quite a very spiritual experience? Yeah, um, are you talking about the one where I was with him when he actually died? Yes, and you realized that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he had had stomach cancer and had been dealing with that for a year. And eventually he was admitted to hospital because he'd had an operation. It hadn't worked. He'd had chemo. It hadn't worked. And it was clear that we were nearly coming to the end. So he was in hospital. And I um, didn't, we didn't know at that point that he would never come back again. But that's what happened. And at one point, the doctor said what we all hear that the doctors say, which is, I'm sorry, there's no more that we can do. And um, within about five days after that, I think he had died. So I was sitting by his bedside with a couple of friends when he actually took his last breath. Now, the thing about a last breath when you're with somebody is you never know when is the last breath because it's only after another breath hasn't happened that you realize that they have died. And uh, this was happening. He, his breaths were... Um, long and a very long gap in between and then there was a long gap that just didn't stop and he had died but I saw a change in his face really subtle I can't, couldn't even use words to describe it now and sometime later it was really clear to me that in that moment who Philip was had was no longer there and the, what was lying on the bed was this um bag of skin let's call it that looked like him looked exactly like him but it was so clearly not him he just was not there mm. and um and that led me to later again when i was at home and we'd had the funeral and everything i woke one morning thinking if that was an empty bag lying on the bed then what is this full bag that is me, my body, what is this full bag filled with? Mm -hmm. And although I've been a spiritual seeker most of my life, this felt like it seeking on a whole other level. And that led me eventually to write my first book, Gifted by Grief. And um, yeah, although that was, I thought that people would be really interested in the lots of spiritual awakenings let's say that happened as a result of my husband's death which is why i was able to call it gifted by grief mm. actually they responded to the very practical chapter about the questions that i asked him before he died which is why i've ended up doing this kind of stuff now yeah amazing thank you for sharing that jane um that gives also more meaning to what you're doing and what you're about yeah uh, and what you're able to offer to people um, as a service um one big thing that i really and we're sort of moving towards the end here the mm -hmm. one really big thing that i'd like to share with you is that it occurs to me that what fundamentally what this is all about creating an end of life plan and thinking it through carefully and etc etc is really you one caring about the people you leave behind yeah enough to make sure that it's done the way you want it that you end it the way you want it so that it is the best possible passage if you like 
for all those people, family and friends who love you. And it makes it easier for them in the best possible way. And that, so that's what it's really about. It, it's really not just about, you know, making sure that you, you've sort of planned it for yourself, but it's for others. Yeah, it is actually primarily. I mean, you will get relief and peace of mind that you've taken care of this if you go ahead with doing these things. But actually, it is primarily for those you leave behind. And many people have said to me, why should I care about this? I'll be dead. And of course, you'll be dead. You will not be there to receive their gratitude, their appreciation mm -hmm. of how well organized you have left everything. And let me tell you, there, I've heard so many people saying either how incredibly grateful they have been for the fact that when somebody died the the year afterwards was made relatively easy from them for them from an administrative point of view because that person had prepared beforehand yeah. and also i've heard loads of stories about people who've had years literally years spent trying to sort out somebody's affairs in all sorts of ways and that's not just the will either there's all sorts of other things not to mention the might the amount of stuff in your house that somebody's going to have to go through or clear out or yeah. chuck out or whatever mm -hmm. um so yeah it is a really selfless act this and um because you're not going to be around to receive the gratitude yeah definitely <laughs> that's just another one you just came up with what about the content yes I mean, seriously, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it must be awful. I mean, especially if it's your wife or husband or partner and they have to deal with that. That's, that's a tough one. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if, if you care about any of the stuff that you have, you need to make sure that somebody else knows why you care about it and what's the story behind caring about it because it's the story that brings, stuff, brings things alive yeah. because it will be chucked out otherwise. It just will. If people don't have the time or the emotional capacity, maybe, to go through things at a very deep level when they are left and in a big mess. And that's why there's this idea of death cleaning, which is really like decluttering in your later years. Mm. Um, where, so for example, my mum, who died in 2018, um, she had a life threatening illness and um, a terminal diagnosis actually she had motor neurone disease and so she knew she was going to be dying relatively shortly and she started to go through she went through the desk she got through rid of all sorts of letters that wouldn't have made any sense to us but she kept quite a few that were really important she uh, had been an artist and she sold her easel so that she knew because she wasn't able to use it any longer but she had the pleasure of knowing that some other artist would be enjoying that. That's a lovely thing to do. Actually. Oh, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, you know, we had relatively little um, to take care of in terms of the amount of stuff that was left behind because she'd been well organized and made mm. a big difference. Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, finally, uh, tell me more about your mission to have these plans be as commonplace as birth plans. Well, I just, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, we talk about birth plans, we talk about birth plans as kind of normal, you know, you have a birth plan, you also know that it might not go according to plan, but it helps everybody, including the medics to know what your intention is, even if you can't have it happen. 
Um, and it's the same with a death plan. We don't know exactly when we're going to die and we don't know the circumstances, but it really helps to, to plan for it, if you like. And I would love it if people can talk about uh, end of life or death plans in the same with the same ease as people can talk about birth plans and I predict that that will happen it might not happen in my lifetime but I do think it will happen um I hope it will happen and that's really what my work is all about is getting the word out there and helping people to actually get their end of life plans done start with a conversation start thinking about it yourself because you can't do it without that but then actually get Decisions made and things written down. Really important. That's great. Um, what a wonderful service, Jane. And um, I know I've said it before, but and you know how busy I am and all the rest of it. But um, I know that when I when I spoke to Karen, she said oh, that's a good idea. I yeah. haven't got round to doing it yet, but uh, I will be at some point sooner or later calling you because I, I would like to do this. I think it makes total sense. Um, yeah. So for the listeners then, um, is, uh, uh, how can they get hold of you? What's, what's the best contact information for you? The best contact information is just to email me, which is jane, J-A-N-E, at beforeigosolutions.com. But um, if you want to get a free copy of the eight essentials for creating a good end of life plan, you can just go to beforeigosolutions.com forward slash eight dash essentials, eight, the number eight dash essentials and you can just put your name and an email in there and you'll get that copy and if you don't want to stay on the mailing list you can just um unsubscribe when you next hear from me which is relatively regularly but not enormously <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's, it's nice and you write you write some good posts uh, which i receive um, thank you yeah and so it's uh, jane at before i go solutions.com that's b-e-f O-R-E-I-G-O-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Yeah. As it sounds, but just making sure. Okay, great. Um, and uh, you can help people individually and you do workshops and you have workbooks and you do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a whole variety of stuff. And to be honest, sometimes people do employ me one-on-one -on -one simply because it's they've recognized that that's the only way they're actually going to do it <laughs> yeah sometimes it's, it's, that's what coaching does it's not just in in all walks of life a coach yeah. is there to uh, some people call them a professional nag but while you while you're paying for that service it's like me paying for my personal trainer um, yeah I, I pay him every month so <laughs> otherwise yeah. i wouldn't do it <laughs> yeah exactly it's exactly the same thing <laughs> yeah so uh, would you like to say anything uh, by way of summary or conclusion? I think the only thing to say is something that my, um, my partner now, that I have a new partner in my life, he said to me the other day, you know, a good end of life plan is a great going away present. And I thought, oh yeah, I really like that. A good end of life plan is a great going away present. So if you want to give a great present to the people who are going to be left behind after you've died, this is the way to do it. Uh, I like that too. Yeah, and especially uh, this this conversation has been relevant in, in a time of COVID-19 and all that. Um, more relevant yeah. than ever. Good excuse, as you said. I mean, there's the topic. Yeah. Uh, talk, dying to talk. Why, why COVID-19 is a great opportunity for a neglected conversation. So yeah. this is an opportunity more than usual to have uh, 
to contemplate, to reflect, and then discuss the Red of Life plans. Jane, thank you very much indeed. Brilliant uh, conversation. Um, I hope you found it enjoyable. Yeah, thank you very much. I always like talking about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you're an expert and you're passionate about it. And um, that's why you can be so helpful to people. So uh, thanks again. And um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.